Hello and welcome back to Crossroad Theology, the show where we ask questions, examine truths, and question assumptions. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Sin. That's right. We're talking about it. Yeah, that is what we're talking about. It's probably the one thing that nobody ever really wants to talk about, but we're talking about it. The big S word. Yeah, the big S word, sin. Not, not that other word. I don't know another S word, so we're just going to get right into it. <laughs> so if we're going to talk about sin, we ought to ask the question, what is sin? And kind of get familiar with the ideas of what sin is. Yeah, so we're going to cover a few different kind of th- sin theologies. And not all of them. There's quite a few out there. But I think the ones that we are choosing to cover are going to be kind of informative and kind of shed a little light on people's different opinions. Yeah. So for the remainder of this podcast up until the very end, we're just going to kind of assume that sin exists. There's some debate amongst secular societies and cultures and whatnot, whether or not there is such a thing as sin and whether or not that is bad. Uh, For the remainder of this podcast up until probably the end when we give our opinions, uh, we're just going to assume that it does exist because, I mean, a majority of Christianity probably assumes that it does exist. So either way. So first we want to touch on the concept the idea of original sin. Now, this is a pretty common concept. If you've been around the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard of original sin. Yeah, just walk into pretty much any church in America, and like if they have a sermon series on sin, they'll go over the doctrine of original sin or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, and the doctrine of original sin can also be called ancestral sin, And basically, it's just the concept that sin is in the world as a result of Adam and Eve's taking and eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You got it right. Good job. Yeah. And so basically, that one act, the first sin, the original sin, is the reason why you and I today are capable of sin and we don't have the blessing that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden, which was eternal life, free of sin, pain, whatever, whatnot. Yes, yeah, like a spiritual whatnot. Like a spiritual whatnot. And one of the more mainstream and kind of middle-of-the-road takes on this is actually the Catholic Church's take on it. And I'm going to read a little ditty out of their, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 405, and this is what it says. Although it is proper to each individual, original sin does not have the character of a personal fault in any of Adam's descendants. It is a deprivation of original holiness and justice, but human nature has not been totally corrupted. It is wounded in the natural powers proper to it, subject to ignorance, suffering, and dominion of death, and inclined to sin. The paragraph goes on to say, that baptism, by imparting the life of Christ's grace, erases original sin and turns man back towards God. But the consequences for nature, weakened and inclined to evil, persist in man and summon him to spiritual battle. And a, a kind of a good example uh, to explain this in, in easier to understand terms is, um, imagine like your grandfather won the lottery and won a lot of money, and then, then he decided, you know what, I, I, wanna, I want more money. And so he decided to cheat on the next lottery. 
but the lottery people found out and they took all that money away from him. And that's kind of the same thing we see with Adam and Eve. And so so the, the grandchildren of this person are not able to get inherit the blessing of that money. However, they're not being punished for the grandfather's actions. Instead, what they're getting is, you know, kind of like a, a corrupted inheritance. And so that's the catechism is, is kind of reaching at that is that because of the actions of Adam and Eve, we are not punished for those actions, but we also don't inherit the blessing that God gave to Adam and Eve. So it's it's more of a corrupted inheritance, if that makes sense. So with the base of original sin kind of laid out for us, there's a couple different variations that spin off of original sin. Uh, and the first one we're going to talk about is the concept of total depravity. Yes, total depravity. So out of the Kazakhism, we see this corrupt inheritance, but with the next doctrine, total depravity, it's not just a corrupted inheritance, it's a corrupted mankind. Uh, Adam and Eve left us with a corrupted being itself, not just a corrupted inheritance. So total depravity is sort of this belief that we are nothing but totally depraved, nothing but totally like despicable. There is absolutely no good in us, absolutely nothing godly in us, and there is absolutely no way for towards god towards godliness without some form or another of help and without christ we are nothing but evil and just bad everything's bad um a lot of the proof texts for this are like the fall um they use the fall or like people who believe in total depravity use the fall quite a bit to back up the fact that uh we are totally depraved and totally evil um but romans 5:12 is one of the big ones that people use and that is, sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Also, if you want to learn more about total depravity, uh, John Piper is a good author to go to. Uh, I think that he preaches a lot on the um, idea and the doctrine of total depravity quite a bit. I'm sure there are sermons online that you can go see, but John Piper is probably the big one that you would want to go to if you want anything more to know about total depravity. So the final takeoff of original sin that we want to talk about today is something you could probably call original goodness. And the concept behind this is basically that in the story of creation in Genesis, God, when he creates man, he has said before this, every time he creates something, that it is good. But when he finally gets around to creating man, he says something that is different. He says, man is very good. Tov meod in the Hebrew. And the the concept of original goodness is that the story starts, the story that God is telling with us as humans starts in Genesis 1. It doesn't start at the fall, which is what a the, the doctrine of something like total depravity would be more inclined to is that our story starts after Adam and Eve's story where where they messed up. And so we are inclined towards that. But instead, total goodness or original goodness, sorry, is is something that says we are actually inclined towards good. And if we let this inclination, this idea that we're inclined towards sin to get in the way of the story that God's trying to tell through us, then it can cause some problems. 
And there's a there's a counter to this. Uh, there's an Orthodox theologian named Michael Pomazansky who who said this. As for the newer sects of Protestantism, they have gone as far as to compl- as the complete denial of original inherited sin. It is bad enough to, de- to deny what Scripture teaches, but if sin is not really that serious, then the need for the Son of God to bear our sin also becomes unnecessary, and the biblical doctrine of salvation is a swift casualty. Now you can kind of tell that this Orthodox theologian is probably more inclined towards total depravity, However, his statement also is more inclined towards a um, salvation theology, or theology called penal substitutionary atonement, which I'm not going to get into now, but uh, we'll probably do a, uh, an atonement theory episode at some point. Um, yeah, probably sometime soon. Yeah, but this is just another take, and it could be also kind of interpreted as a more positive take, maybe not as depressing, but uh, I, I think you can get around the fact that this doesn't, this theory does not necessarily mean that Jesus' sacrifice is unnecessary at all. In fact, it doesn't. But uh, the, the, the interesting thing is that it just incorporates, you know, the story from, from the beginning and not from kind of part way in, so... That's another take on it. So there's a doctrine that is a little bit in between both of these with the total goodness and total depravity uh, and even the Catholic interpretation of uh, original sin. And that is uh, sin is alienation. And it's not like we're inherently evil or we're inherently corrupt or that we're inherently good and have some sort of goodness in us. But instead, when we sin, we alienate ourselves from God, which creates sort of a meaninglessness in our lives. Um, for a lot of people, this makes the fall become a picture, uh, instead of a literal event, which might be a little bit more comfortable for some people. And if you're actually interested in learning a lot more about sin as alienation, uh, Paul Tillich is a good person to start with. Uh, he is attributed with first arguing that sin is fundamentally a breach of relation of a relationship and sin as alienation. So the last the concept that I want to talk about is called failure of potential. And the person who's kind of associated with this is named Norman Pittenger. And he tried to put this into the framework of kind of an evolutionary uh, theology. So basically what it is, is that man has free will. We've evolved to be who we are. and But God has put, he has a certain uh potential that he sees in us and that he expects of us. And when we sin, we fall short of that potential. And thus we fall short of the glory of God. That's all I got for that one. So this is kind of the part of the program where we're going to start talking about our opinions and which one we particularly like or which one we particularly don't like. Or something in between. Our own, you know, theological idea that could be completely unbiblical, but we stubbornly believe anyways. Yeah, I'm probably going to be one of those people. And could end up burning in hell for all eternity because we believe what we believe. Yeah. If you believe in hell. Oh! Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right. Okay, so one of the things that I kind of encounter a lot as a campus minister is uh, I meet with a lot of students who really like to throw the sin word around and... 
they, I don't, it just, they kind of like crap on themselves because they think that they are so sinful. And I, I just personally think that the word, the sin word is thrown around way too much. I think there's certain things that we should consider sin. We should also address them with humility, understanding that we all fall short of the expectation that we're supposed to follow as Christians. However, we should do it as a community and as a group, and we should not try to address sin uh, as an individual. And I think it would be much more healthy to have these kind of conversations uh, within a, a larger group and just teach everybody, I don't know, try to just come to the, the conclusion once and for all that we sin, but it's okay, and we're going to be okay, and God still loves us. There's some serious things that we can do that are, yes, you can call it sin. However, it doesn't matter if you're a murderer, a mass genocidal maniac, God will still love you. As crazy as that sounds, that's what I believe. God still loves you. I mean, there's always room for improvement, too. I mean, you know, if you're a mass genocidal maniac, you could probably stop doing that. That'd probably make God a lot more happy. Um, for me, like, I, I, I see Genesis 1 trumping Genesis 3 quite a bit, where God calls us good, and we sometimes call ourselves pretty evil. Um, for me, in my own struggles with sin... I see that looking at myself less of a totally depraved monster and more of a being that God called good, I find that in myself, I can actually change my behavior far, far more than I could before. Because with that idea of total depravity, for me, that gave me an excuse to go, oh, well, I just suck. I just am a sinner. I am nothing. I'm worth nothing. I am nothing. And eventually, I just fall in the same pits of sin that I was in that I that I had my original, you know, outlook in Christianity. But when I started to look at myself as more of like a being that God called very good at the end of Genesis one, I started to realize no, I can actually start to move towards that very goodness. And it's not because like, you know, is it by my own two hands? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That's that's another theological debate. But I like to think of it as. You know, I'm moving towards where God wants me to be. I'm progressing towards where God wants me to be. And I, I think that for me, my, I think for myself, I really appreciate an idea of goodness rather than total depravity. Yeah, I have to echo what Chris says. Um, you know, Hebrews tells us that we're running a, a race. And at, at some point we're going to fall and we're going to stumble. But there's always a finish line to to make it to. And going off Hebrews, uh, this is from Isaiah 40. It's Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And in this verse, in this passage, I kind of see a progression going with God and the way we should follow God, I guess. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not be faint. That doesn't mean we sit in one place and think about, like, for me at least, this this doesn't look like me sitting in my sin going, oh God, I can't do anything. I can't move. I can't do anything. It's like, it's God's calling us forward. Those who hope in the Lord move forward. 
They don't sit in their sin and go, oh, I can't get out of this. I suck. I suck. They go, no, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep moving and I'm going to keep moving towards God. Yeah, you know, I just think it's very important that we focus on our relationship with God and not on the amount of sin that we have in our life. I firmly believe that the more intimate your relationship is with God, the less inclination you're going to have to, you know, sin or whatever you want to, you know, call it. it. It's the relationship part is we're, we're hoping to ins- like put as much of God in ourselves as possible. And if God is all loving, all powerful, all knowing, then you know, I don't think we're going to become all knowing or all powerful, but maybe loving. We might, we might be able to love ourselves more and love others more. And I think that's probably a good basis for, living a life that's got a little less sin in it. And I guess coming full circle is this. So yes, God's all loving, all powerful, unchanging. And the best part about, for me, believing in this original goodness narrative is that if if God is all good and all loving, that means it seriously means that he hasn't changed from day one. And what what I see in the story of total depravity is is that God had to send his son, who's the same as himself, to basically give us his love back. And that just doesn't work with me. I don't know. But the original goodness to me seems like God never stopped loving me and that's that's pretty that's a lot more positive to me. So as a and believer, it, it's it's just, yeah. It's yeah, good. it really doesn't even give you the excuse of saying, oh, I suck. It's more saying, no, you're supposed to be good. So get up off your butt and start working towards it. And that's not to say that your salvation is integral with you being good. That's a topic for another time. But, you know, what it's really saying is like, hey, you are created good. Like, let's try and work towards that. Let's take one step at a time towards that. So, for our third episode, this was a pretty big topic to take on, and I don't even think we scratched the surface, but I hope that we were able to put a little bit of perspective on this crazy little thing we call sin. So, as we usually do towards the end of our episodes, we ask the question, is this a matter of salvation? So, Chris, what do you think? I mean, I think it depends really i don't know for me if i see it as you know a matter of salvation i know people who believe that they're totally and utterly depraved and i think they're going to be saved just as much as the people who say that they believe in the genesis 1 story and say you know i feel like i'm very good it's like okay i think i think for me like it doesn't really matter towards salvation however i do think that it matters towards how you see your own salvation and i think that's something that's really important with these doctrines is Somebody might say, well, I can't believe that I am totally depraved because I know I do good things. And they might need a different doctrine other than total depravity in order to see their own salvation in Christ. And there might be some people who just say, I cannot believe that I am worth anything right now. I do not believe that I am any good. And, you know, to be honest, like for me, I do, I would not understand that position at all. But some people may need the doctrine of total depravity in order to feel like, okay, I know there's a God out there that loves somebody like me who, I mean, for me, I can't see that position, but maybe somebody out there needs total depravity in order to, for themselves to see their own salvation. 
Yeah, uh, I think this is going to be a pretty common theme with this this question. It's a matter of personal opinion and where you find yourself on a scale. Uh, it, it a big thing is: Are you? Will you consider yourself a Calvinist? Can you lose your salvation after gaining it? Are you an Arminian? Can you? Is your salvation guaranteed after you've been saved? Are you Catholic? Have I been to confession this week to make myself right with God? That kind of thing. So maybe you find yourself in a works-based faith. Uh, Catholicism has a bit of that as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It to, For me, I, th- I focus, like I said before, I focus more on my relationship with God and hope that my the way that I live my life is changed through him. I don't spend as much time focusing on like, oh my gosh, I'm sinning so much. Now it's important to put that all in perspective, but because of my sins, I don't think that I am going to go to heaven or hell. I don't think there's a, a meter or a tally that's being kept because I think that Jesus came and said, it's okay. There's a sin parking meter, actually, is the one thing that we're forgetting to tell you. And every time you sin, Jesus puts a quarter in and just goes, that's that's horrible. He just puts a quarter in every time. That's more time <laughs> in purgatory or hell, depending on what you believe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's what that I'm is. trying to say. Yeah, that's what we've been trying to say this whole time. <laughs> well, that wasn't so bad, was it? I don't think so. That wasn't that bad. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. so we, we have some people to thank and some shout-outs and plugs that I want to do. Uh, I want to thank, again, Ben Wiedebeck for his support uh, that he's given us on the show. He gave us some financial contribution to get us off the ground. I wanted to thank Jessica Clements, who did our wonderful logo. And one of these days, I'm going to get her contact information and put it in the description below if you want to get a hold of her to do some of your graphical design work. And I'd also like to plug Catholic Answers Live. I listen to their podcast quite a bit because I always enjoy hearing what the the Catholic apologist uh, has to say. This guy isn't even Catholic, and he listens to Catholic Answers. Yeah, and I hang out with Mormons all the time as well. Yeah, he's pretty weird. I like them to come over and tell me what they believe. Um, But uh, the information on the catechism that we talked about and that little example was from an episode of catholic answers live um there's a uh, an actually an awesome catholic apologist by the name of trent horn he does a lot of work on uh, he has a book called answering atheism and a book called persuasive pro-life which he's written which are pretty cool books i mean pretty decent books but uh, that analogy was his own uh the the lottery one so am i forgetting anybody we're probably forgetting somebody we want to thank all of you for listening Yes. Without you, we'd still be making this podcast because we're belligerent. Probably still be making this podcast. But thank you for listening. I mean, it does all, give us gratification that you are listening. You, yeah. yeah all eight, 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 eight. Uh, don't forget to find us on Facebook at Crossroad Theology Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter. We have an Instagram, which we're probably not going to use. Um and what else? Oh, uh, Stitcher and iTunes. If you listen to us and you like us, we would really appreciate a rating and a little ditty about the podcast on iTunes. I don't know what you can do on Stitcher, but we'd love your support on there as well. 
And, uh, oh, we have a Patreon, which is kind of set up. But uh, if you like what you hear and you want to support us, we would be more than appreciative. Uh, we definitely could use a, a little bit more gear to help improve the experience. But other than that, Chris is checking Facebook now on, as we're recording. So uh, do you have anything left to say, Facebook, Chris? Um, well, there's nothing really interesting on my Facebook feed right now. Somebody just uploaded a video, though, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's it. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on Crossword Theology Podcast. We will see you next time. Yep. See you next time.